This is Noah Kadner, and you're listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Miles Perkins works for Epic Games as a member of the Unreal Engine Enterprise Business Development Team. He collaborates closely with filmmakers to deliver cutting-edge virtual production workflows. Before Epic, Perkins worked for over 20 years at Lucasfilm, finally as head of corporate communications. But funnily enough, he got his first job through an honest misunderstanding during college. My career started while I was at UCLA, actually. There was a three-by-five card up on the job board. I looked at the card, and it said Skywalker Sound, and I figured this would be a good job, but, you know, they're probably going to get sued or something because of copyright infringement, but I'll take the ride. And I took that card down and I pulled out the old rotary telephone and I called him up. I wound up arriving there for the interview and in fact it it was Skywalker Sound. (laughs) I didn't realize that there was actually a Skywalker Sound location in Los Angeles. I thought everything was up north. And uh, I started at Skywalker Sound and then moved uh, up north and wound up at Industrial Light and Magic. Early during his tenure at Lucasfilm, Perkins witnessed a visual effects animation test for Jurassic Park, which would forever change filmmaking. The experience gave him the ability to spot later game-changing technologies in the filmmaking world. I was at ILM, and Steve Williams and Mark DePay and and those guys had done the first T-Rex test, and we walked into the theater and saw it. And I had the same feeling like, oh, wow, things are about to change. Like, this is, this is monumental. Keep absolutely still. In that moment, my job was to not only tell the story of how this was done in a non-computer science way, <laughs> but then also to explain to the industry how they can leverage computer-generated imagery and to de-risk things, because you're always taking a risk by being in that first wave. You're going to be the ones that are going to work the hardest, and then at some point in time, it's going to level out and just be the way of working. That's no different than today. Perkins' time at Lucasfilm also introduced him to many cutting-edge visual effects supervisors and artists who would later find their way to Epic Games. First and foremost, Kim Library who is a visual effects supervisor that I'd known since 2005. He's most noted for his work on the Matrix series and really coming up with bullet time. How did you do that? Do what? You moved like they do. He's always been at the forefront of pushing the envelope, really wanting to make sure that there was a real-time aspect to visual effects. He always thought, like, why do I have to wait to be able to see what I want to see? And so fast forward to now, he's the CTO of Epic Games and really pushing forward with an amazing team of people who have always been at the head of their field. Library and ILM experimented early on with real-time animation technologies. Perkins experienced this back in 2001 during the production of AI, Artificial Intelligence, directed by Steven Spielberg. I know where most of them can be found. Where? Rouge City. They actually leveraged the Unreal Engine, I believe it was Unreal Engine 1, to allow Spielberg to virtually scout what he wanted to shoot before they built the models. 
because Rouge City, the original designs were the whole city. So why don't we go ahead and figure out exactly what he wants to shoot before we build the whole thing? That's tails. Very hoity That had actually been around for a bit, but that was very rudimentary for the time in terms of the images that we were creating in Industrial Light and Magic. I mean, this was just basically a kind of tech viz or previs implementation. Although Perkins could see the potential in the emerging technology, he also learned the overriding importance of story. When multimedia was happening in 2000 or so, and, you know, everybody was like, ah, you're going to be able to go into the theater and people are going to choose the ending and everything. Dennis Murin pulled me aside. We were having a conversation. He goes, there's never going to be a scenario where you want to have someone tell a story and then everybody chooses at the end. He goes, for hundreds of thousands of years, we've sat around a campfire and someone has told a story. And we don't get to the end of the story and say, okay, what does everybody else think? Perkins and several other colleagues from Lucasfilm, ILM, and other high-end visual effects companies ultimately wound up at Epic Games, leveraging Unreal Engine for virtual production. The highest profile application of the technology to date is the Disney Plus Star Wars streaming series, The Mandalorian. Well done. Well, you're not so bad for a droid. Agreed. I think everybody right now is talking about virtual production because of the success of uh, Mandalorian. People are thinking that virtual production is synonymous with in-camera visual effects. I actually think virtual production has been going on for a long, long time. Last year, you and I did the virtual production field guide to start to establish some common language around this. Virtual production is the ability to treat what is physical and what is virtual in the same way and to have the same language about both of them. Previs, that's been around for a long time. And animatics have been around. And back in Star Wars, we would take models and go and kind of map out the shots or do storyboards, animatics being running storyboards. This has been happening for a long time. Because the live action footage was finished before most of the special effects were completed, animated sketches, animatics, of the finished sequence were made. They served as moving blueprints for the film editor and the effects people. The difference right now is those were done just to the image and you would cheat all of the physics. What's happening now is because of game engines, you're not cheating the physics. The width of the road is the same in the virtual space as the width of the road in the physical space. So all of a sudden, this isn't just a visual representation of what you want to shoot. It is what you're going to shoot. On the eve of The Mandalorian's premiere in 2019, Epic demonstrated the potential of in-camera visual effects on a stage in Los Angeles during the SIGGRAPH Computer Graphics Conference. But they found that Hollywood's interest in a remote-capable virtual production stage hadn't quite peaked. And then, world events changed everything. So we did this demo at SIGGRAPH showing what the engine could do. People were like in awe 
of this as, wow, this is the future, but it still felt like the future, <laughs> you know, where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll kind of get to that. Oh, maybe I'll dip my toe in it or something like that. Not to say that there wasn't an immense amount of energy around it, but it wasn't quite the same as, oh no, I have to do this right now. Fast forward a couple months where the health crisis comes and COVID, all of a sudden it's, hey, wait a minute, what is that thing that you were talking about? Because I, I don't see how production can move forward. I need a safe way of being able to shoot. I need a safe way of being able to get a crew on location. So all of a sudden, this turned from a good idea for post-production to being a physical production solution to a problem that's facing the industry right now. Because the film industry is full of incredibly smart and creative people, they quickly developed ways to reconfigure workflows and lean into remote operations. I was talking to someone who's at one of the major studios who's in the visual effects side. He was lamenting about how he, for so many years, has been trying to create a remote workforce where the visual effects companies don't have such overhead and they're able to reach out and work with artists he pointed out, and it was amazing that within two weeks, basically the entire industry was able to achieve this remote workforce. This situation has definitely been a challenge. It's been very, very hard. It's been difficult. But on the other side of that, I think it's affording new opportunities potentially for when we come out of this to be able to address the demand that we're starting to see right now for content. Perkins also observed that reconfiguring how Hollywood operates is a unique challenge because it involves many interconnected parts. It's not a science. It's really something that is, it's so organic. The way Hollywood runs is a little bit like a transmission, but all of the pieces aren't actually physically connected. It's, it's the, actually the fluid that keeps everything running. So, for example, one studio doesn't necessarily know all of the specifics around another studio and the schedule that it has, but it's adversely affected by some of the scheduling that they have. When this thing hit, it's basically like all of the fluid just drained out of the transmission and all of these parts just drop to the ground. So they don't fit together anymore. We are definitely kind of reinventing how everything is working, how schedules work, whether or not things are in a linear fashion or you're actually doing things kind of on top of one another, more like an agile kind of workflow. Because Unreal Engine was originally made as an application for designing games, it has multi-user capabilities baked in for multiplayer gaming. It turns out these capabilities are coincidentally the key to unlocking safe remote production via the internet. And I want to actually change this material on the patio here. So now that I've saved it, you should see the change. Yeah, as soon as you hit save, it pushed it right to me. You'll also notice that the lock, if you go to that- This multi-user function, we really intended it for a stage scenario, everything being on the same LAN, the same local area network. Well, it turns out that that actually works over any network. That means if you're to call in on a VPN, you can have multiple machines across the globe, really, talking to one another so that we all feel like we're in the exact same scene. 
People have been looking for ways to be in the same scene, visualize in real time what they're working on and to be able to work together. So you might have a director that is in there kind of blocking out a shot. You have the set design, the CG artist, everybody's in this scene and they're basically blocking out this scene just as they would if they were on a set. What are you thinking anymore? You just want to do like a stack of these crates? Exactly, yeah. I think we just make it look like this room is actually pretty just cluttered with stuff. And we're seeing this more and more and more. We're seeing this idea of virtual scouting where you're having the previs team and the virtual art department team all in remote locations on a network with a director and a showrunner. And they're all in there blocking out shots. And when they get on stage, what they saw on either their computer monitor or in their VR headset is going to be what they are going to see once they arrive to the stage. That is just an amazing, amazing thing because you can be productive right now, although you're sheltering in place, you can be productive right now and ready to shoot in a very controlled environment. You know, you can take all of the precautions that need to be taken. All of that is readily available right now in the engine, and some people are looking at this and taking advantage of it, which is awesome to see. Perkins also observed a significant increase in the construction of new stages equipped with LED screens for in-camera visual effects. Last year, around this time, we were aware of probably about three or four stages that were doing the in-camera visual effects, meaning that you're tracking the camera and the perspective is changing on the wall, not just doing a 2D projection on the wall, but actually tracking the camera. Right now, I'm tracking about 120 stages. And again, when I say various stages, meaning some of them aren't actually up and running, but they're moving towards that. Some of these are for corporate, some of these are for broadcast, about 20% or so of that are for major feature films. So you're really starting to see a proliferation of this in the marketplace. And I think it's only accelerated by the current health crisis. Beyond planning and visualizing live action, Perkins also supports teams who are creating animation projects entirely remotely. He sees some productions even remotely capturing actors with performance capture suits. I'm proud to be working with folks like AMGI and Real Effects, Braun Digital. Pull! I am pulling! Uh, pull toward you. Right. There are all of these companies out there on the animation side that are doing incredible work remotely, yet they feel like they're all together. All of these same workflows work in animation. Whether I'm looking at something that was captured in camera or an element that I brought into the scene, they have dailies. They do shoots on Fridays where they basically have one person in, in one house operating a camera and someone in another house across town in an XN suit doing a performance. So it's amazing to see some of the things that are going on. As the convergence of virtual and traditional workflows accelerated, Perkins saw that direct experience could often overcome resistance to new technologies such as virtual reality. I can't get the details, but someone told me that they were working on a film and the director, the DP, everyone was in headset on a HMD as they would on a real set. They were moving around and they were blocking out shots, but the set designer refused. I don't want to put that on. That's not, you know, and 
And then all of a sudden they were looking at a big screen with the different views and everything of what each one of the different people in headset were seeing and was incredibly frustrating to him because he could not see what they were talking about. They were talking about things from a shared perspective that had spatial awareness and he couldn't see that from a two-dimensional image and <laughs> this friend he basically just kind of you know cut the crap put on the headset and as soon as the set designer put on the headset it was like oh it's not about the headset it's about being spatially aware and not only that but it is common to being on set you have spatial awareness that you can move around and you can move objects in the space. Interest in virtual production and in Unreal Engine has exploded over the past year. Perkins often gets asked by newcomers what they should study and how to break into the industry. What I always tell people is this is real time and there's nothing to it but to do it. The software is free. Not only can you download it, but then there are also materials and things like from Quixel that are free. You can go to the marketplace and pick up different scenes and characters and environments and effects, and you can just start to play with it and start to get familiar with it. You can find training for free and you can start to basically take these classes, just video classes, so you can start to get familiar with lighting or blueprints or animation. Now, let's say you wanted to do in-camera visual effects. I have seen people who have actually taken three laptops into multi-user and then had a little Lego character in the middle. They used a Vive tracker for their iPhone and hooked that up for themselves just so that they can wrap their head around, okay, how exactly does this work? Yes, there are some bells and whistles that go on to a Mandalorian-sized stage, but fundamentally, the things that you need in order to pull that off are in the engine. And all you need to do is start to connect some of the dots and set things up in that way. This isn't defined. We're right in the beginning of this new way of working. And by you jumping in right now, you're maybe only six months behind whoever else it was that was one of the first people to jump in or a year behind someone who's there from early on with regard to in-camera visual effects and quite frankly with regard to leveraging game engines for virtual production you can tell miles perkins loves what he's doing today but he's even more excited when asked where he envisions virtual production experiences developing in the future we as human beings, how we communicate with one another, what we do is I tell you a story. You take in that story and then you apply what your learnings are from that story to your experiences. That's no different than entertainment of the future. We're gonna have a place where we can have our own experiences and then there'll be a story that is told to us and we can sit back and watch as many of these as we want. But if I wanna step into that story and have an experience, it doesn't have to be a game. It can be an experience where I'm interacting with some of the set pieces or the characters that are there. And that just enriches my experience. I don't think it's too future forward thinking. I think it's things that we do today. It's just that we're going to have a place to do that.
been listening to the Virtual Production Podcast. Thanks again to our guest, Miles Perkins, for joining us. This episode was written and hosted by me, Noah Kadner. This episode was edited and mixed by Corey Abel. The Virtual Production Podcast is a co-production of The Virtual Company and Abel Cine. We love virtual production and would also love to work with you. So please visit our websites and drop us a line if we can help. You can find us at ablecine.com and thevirtual.co. This podcast also wouldn't be possible without Descript, the most fun you'll ever have editing audio as text. Try it now at descript.com. Please also let us know if there's a subject or a guest you want us to have on the show. And if you like what you heard today, please consider giving us a five-star review, subscribing, and telling all your friends about us. Thanks again and see you next time.